CJ Peterson, and welcome to The Journey is Real, where we talk to real people with real passions who share a real portion of their hearts. Today, my guest is Rashad Coleman, and we titled his podcast, Fatherless Son, Journey from Growing Up Fatherless to Being a Father to Many. Thank you for coming on today, Rashad. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, you had a rough upbringing. Would you please share with a little bit of your story with us? Sure. I was born in uh, 1983, Wilmington, Delaware. Um, I was the youngest of three boys, my mother and my, my mother, Linda, and my father, Daniel. Um, at the age of three years old, my father was arrested um, for kidnapping, sexual assault, um, robbery, a, a bunch of different charges um, on August, on, on February 21st, 1987. Gotcha. Um, su subsequently, he went to court, uh, fought trial, and received two life sentences. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like a lot of inner city kids, I was forced to grow up without a father. Um, in that time, uh, my mother did all she could, working two or three jobs, just trying to make sure the family is sticking together and, and, and always you know, doing the right thing. And one thing that she always taught me was that your father may not be here, but you can look at other mentors in the neighborhood that, might be, that, that you might be able to take uh, some of their values, some of the things that, that you like about them. So right. in, in the seventh grade, I um, hooked up with a guy, um, his name is Coach George, he was my first football coach and he taught me how to harness a lot of that uh, anxiety and a lot and a lot of those things that I was missing um, from a father and put it on moving on to the football field for something positive right I mean I would imagine there's a little bit of anger in there too for not having yeah. it around yeah so my, my friend it, it's weird now that I'm looking back on it there was a lot inside of me um, but at the time I didn't know it so him being such a great mentor and and coaching a lot of kids that were growing up without fathers he was able to get a lot of a lot of good recruits because he he was he was he was there to challenge us. He was there to give us some kind of structure, that structure you need in order to um, continue to to prevail in life and be uh, a, a good individual for the environment that you're growing up in, which was a rough environment. Yeah, bless his heart for reaching out to you guys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, he eventually passed me off to a a guy named Cordy Greenley, who's uh, one of my mentors in high school, mm -hmm. who took me in and, and in the tenth grade he began talking to me about college. And I kind of thought he was kind of, you know, a little over his head talking about college. <laughs> You're like, really, me? No. <laughs> where, I, where I come from, college is not not the place we usually go to. You know, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of the kids that come from that neighborhood, they get involved in crime and you know, drugs or guns and things of that sort. And so that's you know, that's kind of we just accepted it as being our fate. After you're done with sports, you'll head back to the street corner. And uh, for him, playing that seed in my head that I was. Um, not only good enough athletically, but I had the mind to be able to, to, to go on a collegiate level and be able to get a degree, kind of sparked something in me to where I started separating myself um, from some of those negative things that the streets had to offer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I eventually graduated from, from Delaware State University uh, with a bachelor's in communications and uh, met, met my wife who is um, who's Caucasian, who's a white woman. And uh, throughout, throughout those years, you know, I eventually figured out why my father was arrested. And, uh, the person that he was accused of, um, the person who was accused of kidnapping that night was a white woman. So there was some tension there um, for the decisions that I was deciding to make um, with my wife and, and, and you know, a couple of things surrounding that. But everybody, you know, came together at the end of the day. And then I became a police officer. So my mother, we, we didn't have the best relationship with law enforcement. So I think she was kind of just like, oh man, first you, you go on this route and now you're going this route. But I always felt like, you know, even in looking at today's society, you have a lot of tension between inner city 
um, inner city individuals, inner city people, and law enforcement. And I feel like if you're gonna, if there's gonna be a problem, there also has to be a solution. So somebody has to put their put their best foot forward and and um, step into those places of employment in order to either help change them or help the community to understand what their mentality is. Now, um, were you a police, were you a police officer in the community that you were growing up in? No, so I, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, but I was a police officer in Philadelphia, okay. Pennsylvania. Can we back up just a little bit? Sure. Um, you touched on a couple different areas that I want to kind of dive in a little bit deeper on. Mentoring mm -hmm. the two the two men that mentored you and took took you under their wing. Mm -hmm. um, usually, growing up in in I've grown up all over. I was an army brat, so I moved all over. Yeah. Um, but you tend to follow those in your group. How did you break free of that chain that kept would continuously pull most people back? I, th I think just the plants that the, the, the seeds that they planted in my head was for that, that I was a little better than that fate. So for them to say, Rashad, you, you can go to college. Your grades might not be the best. Your mother might not have the most money. You might not come from the best environment, but there are other people there that um, come from the same environment that you come from. You just have never heard of them before. Mm -hmm. So let's take this step. Let, let, let's see what happens. And I um, also had a Great guy. I want to make sure I shout him out with uh, Coach Ryan. Um, he was my uh, defensive back coach. Mm -hmm. And one thing that he 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 did for me in the 10th grade is I was taking a lot of the, the lower level classes and he moved me up to the collegiate level classes in high school so that I would be able to have my records show that I'm, I'm ready for college. You know, it was a struggle academically, but he got me the help and I had mentors and, and things that I started that would that would be able to help me. But I think that to, to answer your question, I think a lot of it is on environment, you know, and the things that you see in environment. Surely there were people that came from that environment that had been um, to college and had been successful, but it's just what it just wasn't what I was seeing on a regular basis. So when they were able to show me that, that uh, I think that's what helped me more than anything. Yeah. What was it like for stepping onto the college campus for you? I can't imagine if it was something that you never even dreamed of, and then next thing you know, you're you're standing on a college campus looking around. What was going through your mind? Well, it was my first time away from my mother, um, which was which was strange because ever since my father had been um, locked up when I was young, that was our first time being separate from each other. So she started crying, of course, when she's moving me into the dorm room. Um, but it it was it was just I, one thing I can remember her saying to me is, "It's time for you to grow your wings now. It's time for me to to stop taking care of you. It's time for you you to take care of yourself. And uh, if things go wrong and you can't for some reason you can't handle it, you can always come back home." And that, and that was some, those were some of the best words I've ever had from her was to go around, travel the world, do what you want to do in life. If anything ever goes wrong, you can always come back home, regroup, and then we can start over again. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're in college and you're, you're doing your thing and you're happy go lucky. And then you meet this lady that probably just knocked you off your feet. <laughs> yeah. So we, me, me and her actually met um, after college when we both uh, taught, she was a geometry teacher in high school and I was a business teacher at the same high school that I went to. So we were teaching at the same time. Yeah, at first we got into an argument, was our first uh, <laughs> our first time conversing with each other about a, about a kid in our class. Um, and it's interesting, the argument that we that we were having was because uh, he was doing a lot of things, he was doing a lot of things in her class and being disruptive and she was kind of done with them. And the kid reminded me of myself, I was a, you know, kind of like that, kind of that class clown, but I, I didn't take it too far. I didn't want to get kicked out of class. Right. I didn't want you to call my mother. 
Um, so my plea to her was just, you know, continue to work with them. And I, it was like I was fighting for myself, continue to work with them, you know, continue to give them chances. And she said, no, I have 19 other kids. I can't continue to spend a half hour dealing with him. Other kids aren't getting what they need. So uh, needless to say, we didn't come out of that, that conversation uh, being very fond of each other. But, you know, she swept me off my feet later on and, and it's been so, good ever since. So you went to college for being a teacher. No, I actually went to college for communications. Okay. Went to college for so communications. How did you make the leap from communications to teacher and then teacher to yeah. police officer? That's that's some massive <laughs> leaps. Right. So my undergrad was in business. So when I got to the high school, um, I was teaching business at that point. And um, I had a, a football coach at high school that was a police officer. Mm -hmm. And he had always kind of talked to me, oh, we need kids like you that are police officers. I, I kind of blew it off. But um, but I've uh, in my interactions with police, I would always see, I would always see the influence that they would have on people. How when they would talk, people would listen. Mm -hmm. And I figured if I can get in a position like that and talk to where these younger people that grew up the same way I grew up will listen to me about going to school, about doing the right thing, about staying out of trouble, then I, I figured that that would be a good thing, and that'd be a good way for me to give back to communities that are in the same position as my community was in. Okay, so let's jump forward to the police officer role now. Um, now you're in a position to help other teens and people Correct. in general. So how did you go about doing that? Because I know maybe not then, but now I know police are in a massive struggle right now. Yeah, yeah, which, which is what I love. Um, people say I'm crazy when I say that. But <laughs> you know, when, when, there's, when there's trouble, um, people that are there will rise to the occasion. People that are there will figure out solutions. One thing my college coaches always tell us is never bring me a problem, just bring me a solution. So one thing that I, I started in um, Philadelphia was I would go into the schools in, inside of our district and I would teach a math class inside of uniform. And that would be the first, yeah, that would be the first time that a lot of these um, inner city kids have had ever spoken with a police officer. And some of their questions, you know, they, they were, they, gave the most interesting questions ever, you know, how can I become a police officer? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what do, what do I need to do? What's the, what's the physical capabilities that I need, I need to have? Well, um, plus in doing that that way, you were fostering trust. Exactly. So then when I see, so then when I see him on the street and I, and you know, I would have to arrest someone that they knew, they knew I wasn't there just terrorizing the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They knew I, they knew I was a person that I had spoken with them, you know, early on that cares about, them being in a good environment. And sometimes that good environment means that someone needs to go to jail and be rehabilitated. And sometimes it means um, that I need to stop, you know, on a street corner and, and talk to a kid and, and see you know, what ways I can help them. Mm -hmm. So in fostering trust with them, you also help build a bridge between other officers and these kids. Cause I know in some neighborhoods, um, if a crime happens, they're not gonna say anything cause there's fear of not only themselves, but for their family. Exactly, exactly. And that's a, and that's and that's a problem that I think also uh, me being in law enforcement that we can help out with. You know, we always we always want to help or we always want that information from the public to be able to solve these crimes. But we also have to be able to protect those people that are willing to inform us about the crimes that are going on. You know, I had a quick story. I had an incident in Philadelphia, um, which was a triple shooting. Um, where two people died. The one person that we, me and my partner rushed to the hospital, she was pregnant. She was shot in the stomach. Um, so we get her to the hospital. About three hours later, we have to go back on the street. And the detective says that the somebody, people are calling in saying that the person that did the shooting 
is still out there. You know, he, he has these clothes on. He's sitting on his corner. And my thing was, well, let's go get him. And the detective's explanation was, if nobody wants to tell on him, you can't go there and violate his rights. You know, you have to have something substantial that says, yeah. So, you know, I can only imagine. Anonymous tip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, situations like that is, you know, it's crazy because you can't, you want to reach out and help out in that situation and tell somebody, hey, look, come on, you have to, you have to say something. But on the flip side of it, I'm going back to my home when I'm done the shift, you know, and they have to be in that neighborhood. So. Right. And you went from Delaware, you said? Yes, correct. To Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a huge city. It is. Officer in. So how did you make that transition? Well, the neighborhood that I had grew up in was, uh, it's only a half hour from Philadelphia. And so my neighborhood was big in crime, uh, big in drugs, big in guns, and all those things. It's not as big as Philadelphia was, but it was, it was um, for lack of better terms, it was a smooth transition for me because it was, it was, it was kind of like I was back home. You know, when I was tell kids, get off the street corner, I can remember being that kid on the street corner with the police officer telling me, get off the corner. Um, but the difference, the difference was I try my best to stop and talk to the kid why he has to get off the street corner. You know, there's a lot of drug activity here. We had a shooting here last week. Um, you know, all those things tie into the, to you trying to educate the public on why you need to do something. And I, I think that's something that law enforcement needs to do a little more is educate the public on uh, exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you don't like to brag, so I'm going to tattle on you a little bit. <laughs> um, you got a few awards. Would you mind sharing what those are? Sure. I got the Philadelphia Heroism Award, um, which was for, it was a big fire, and me and my, me and my partner and a, uh, another gentleman, we were able to get everyone out of the house, the whole family out the house before the house burned down. Mm-hmm. Um, several awards for drug confiscations and um, gun confiscation or, for illegal firearms. Uh, inside of the Philadelphia, inside of Philadelphia's districts, um, and they were all good, and I and I enjoyed, you know, getting that getting that recognition. Um, but it's always been my thing to see how I can help. You know, I, as I said before, some people are going to have to go to jail. Um, people have been going to going to jail and, and going for rehabilitation um, for a long time. But I think it's it's more important um, for us to figure out a way. I don't want to say not to lock them up. But for us to figure out figure out why people are continually being locked up, what can we do inside of that environment to help that? Well, and part of it is as soon as they get out, they go right back to the same environment. So they're almost exactly. fighting a losing battle because yeah. they're jumping right back in. Yeah, yeah. We put somewhere else and start over, which is hard for them. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah, which is. I mean, I know you know you. I know you say you traveled a lot and you've been to a lot of different places, and that's been the one thing that's been huge for me. Um, was to first go to college and get out of my environment. Mm-hmm. Once I got out of my environment and I seen that there are African-American people that have 4.0s, it just blew my mind that you could get straight A's and look like me. And, and my thing was, well, why can't I do that? You know, this guy, he grew up without a father too. He grew up without a mother and a father, and yet he's still successful. So like you said, the same thing. I think uh, when people do go to re- re- be rehabilitated, give them some tools, have them take a trade, um, give them some education, but the biggest thing is you got you have to get out of that environment. That you have to, that you have to instill the confidence in them because, um, like you mentioned, going to college, you're like, well, how can I get this? But then you saw somebody else doing it mm-hmm. who was like you, and you're like, oh, hey, wait a minute, I can do that. Part yeah. of it is 
you know, your endurance, your stamina, your confidence in yourself and mm -hmm. knowing that, you know what, I made it out. Yeah, exactly. Not only did I make it out, but I made it out successful, which you have done. Exactly. Exactly. And and yeah. And I'm, and I'm so thankful, you know, I'm so thankful that I'm in a position now with, with three, with a beautiful wife and three young kids that I can take care of them and, and, and give them everything that, you know, give them everything that I always, I always wanted in life. Sometimes I spoil them too much. But, uh, <laughs> you can, but you can't. I mean, you're, yeah. you're going to give them limits because you know where you came from. You know yeah. what you came out of. And exactly. you know what the ugly side looks like. So I'm sure you share some of those stories with your kids so they're aware that, you know what? You actually have it really good. This is what I had. Yeah. Yeah. It's Even that walking, you know, it's not that walking mm -hmm. of snow to school both ways. Your grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> This is the reality of life. And you can actually exactly. take them down to a portion of the city and say, look, it doesn't matter what color people are. It's mm -hmm. it's what's inside of them that yeah. makes them who they are. So true. So true. So and, true. And I, and I still struggle with that. I mean, my, my son, he's four years old <laughs> and uh, he doesn't like being in a room by himself. And, you know, sometimes my wife wants to, you know, she, she go back into your room, you know. But when I was four years old, I can remember feeling like that. I can remember saying to myself, oh man, I wish I could sleep in my mom's room. So I would let him in, you know, I would let him in the bed. Go ahead, sleep down there, sleep down bottom. So, uh, Just sleep on the yeah. floor, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's they're so cute at four too. You kind of can't tell them no. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I'm bad with that. <laughs> I'm working on it. Well, you have a book coming out either very soon or right after this airs. Sure. Like right before or right after this airs, because we're going to be airing it um, November 3rd. Um, right. Can you tell us about the book? Sure. So the book is called Fatherless Son, um, How the Criminal Justice System uh, Tore My Family Apart and Brought Us Back Together. And it has that, the, it has that title because I walk readers through um, a life of, you know, making make some poor decisions, making some good decisions that you've heard and then making some poor decisions also in life. And I think a lot of that was a result of not having that traditional um, family dynamic. Um, so when I became a police officer, me, my father, at the same time, my father had got, gotten released from prison and we began looking into his case and we found that um, there was, you know, DNA evidence and witnesses and, and all these things that were never called to court and that more than likely he, he's innocent of the crime that he spent more than 28 years in jail for. So, oh, wow. So, yeah. okay, I'm going to jump back again. Sure. Uh, how was your relationship with your dad, with him being in jail for most of your life and then when he got out, you're a police officer? I can't yeah. imagine what that was like. You know, I, ironically, <laughs> I, I feel like he took it a lot better than I would have would have would have would have got that information. Um, I, you know, I, I went to I went to see him a couple times when I was young, but we didn't have a real a very good relationship um, coming up because I, I really didn't know who he was because he went to jail when I was so young. But I think the, the first time we really had a, an adult conversation, I uh, brought my wife to see him. Um, and she's white and you've heard what the things that he's been through, but he was just so generous. He was, he was so courteous. And, uh, you know, I even spoke to him about us, us getting married and, and the whole racial thing. And he said, no, if you're in love, man, nothing's going to keep you guys apart. And I couldn't believe he was coming from it. And I'm like, oh man, my father's like the best, you know, he's the best guy in the world. He's going through all this. He's on lockdown. He's serving a life sentence. And yet he just wants his son to be happy. He just wants his youngest son to be happy. And as far as the law enforcement part, when I when I had talked to him about that, he said, "I know you're a good kid. You know, if you if you weren't a good kid and you weren't on the right you were not on the right track, then I would say you probably shouldn't do something like that. But I know if you're in that position, 
then, then what happened to me probably wouldn't have happened if I would have had an officer uh, like you. So well, that meant a lot. Very cool. Yeah. So that probably touched you really well. It uh, did. So when is this book getting launched? Book is getting launched November 1st. Okay. Um, it'll also be available um, on audiobook, which I'm working with, which I'm working to distribute um, right now. Okay. Um, you can find this book at uh, ArthurRashad.com. That's A-U-T-H-O-R-R-A-S-H-O-D. I um, also have a Facebook group called uh, Arthur Rashad Coleman Support Group for Children of Incarcerated Parents. And I also have a YouTube page called Road to Exoneration, where I break down my father's case and I look at exactly how I was able to find how I was able to find the information that he basically hasn't seen um, in 30 years. Mm -hmm. So at this point he's out, he's doing, he's doing better. Um, you know, he's in that, he's in that same environment, which we've spoken of, but he has taken some culinary arts classes and his mind is focused on just doing the right thing and, and exonerating himself. I'm going to so. jump back real quick. I'm, I keep jumping all over the place. Sorry. I'm okay. a little scattered today. <laughs> the Facebook page, we yeah. titled this being a father to many. Is mm -hmm. that part of how you're reaching out to teens that are in the same position you were in growing up is through that Facebook page? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a part of it. Um, I do a lot of my writing on there because as I said earlier on, I was never strong in the, in the grammar aspect and the writing aspect of, of education. And recently, um, within the last couple of years, I've kind of just started taking a lot of thoughts in my head and putting it down. And it's, it's amazing how therapeutic it is to just... <laughs> You know, write down a situation, or, or, you know, maybe I'm going through something with my children, or something with my wife, or something in the past that's bothering me. Once I write it down, it that weight just comes off of me, mm -hmm. and um, and it's just a, it's you know, it's amazing. So yeah, so the Facebook page is, is is really used for, um, me not only reaching out to people that may have grown up the way that I grew up, but also for other people to be able to reach out to that kid that may be a fatherless son or a fatherless daughter. Um, that may be going through something to reach out to them and try to give them whatever support that they need. I really like that because that that may put somebody in the same area as a teen that you're not in. Exactly, exactly, which is crucial. Yeah, I love that. Congratulations. You've done an amazing job um, from where you were to where you are. And thank I you. congratulate you. Uh, thank you for coming on today. We have about three minutes left. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, yeah, so you, you can you can follow the page. You can go on and I think this will air November third, so the book should be out by then. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest the, the biggest if I had to to sum the book up in a couple words, it's a it's a manuscript for people. It's a manuscript and a guide for people to know what people what what children are going through that are growing up without a father. Um, that's, that's important because not everybody understands the mental process. dynamic. Their dad is gone. Or yeah. the mom is gone. Right. Exactly. And it, and you know, one thing I go through is, um, fortunately, unfortunately, when I was 12 years old, I lost my virginity. And, you know, I, I, I made those decisions because it was the streets kind of, it was the streets that was raising me. You know, my mother had two or three jobs. You know, it was only the fellas around, um, some of who, whom which were older. So at that point, I wish somebody would have been there to say, hey, you don't need to, you don't need to be making these kind of decisions right now so somebody can read this and you may have a 12 13 or 14 year old that you may be able to talk to and say hey how, do, how why don't we hold off you know you'll have you'll have plenty of time for that later on in life Let, let's focus let's put our energy to you know in this direction mm -hmm. so you know things 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 like that are, are some of the things that i talk about inside of the book that would be able to help people 
And I love that because you not only talk the talk, but you actually walk the walk. You put it mm. into practical ways of helping other people. And yeah. so again, I do congratulate you. And I thank you for coming on today. I thank you for sharing your heart. You've been a real joy. Um, I know this is a re-recording for those who aren't aware. We had to redo it because it was a little bit off, but either way, you've been an amazing person to talk to and I really appreciate your time. And thank I you so much. You sharing your heart. Uh, for those who want to learn more about Rashad Coleman, you can find him at author Rashad, A-U-T-H-O-R-R-A-S-H-O-D.com. His book came out on November First, this is airing November third, so make sure to go and check that book out. He said it's in. Is it going to be an ebook as well? Yes, it'll be in uh, print. It'll be print on Amazon, um, ebook, and it'll be available for audio. All three of them will be available on the first. All three of them be available. Yes, ma'am. Perfect. Awesome. So check it out. There's no excuse because we have all avenues covered. Um, <laughs> And again, thank you for coming on today, Rashad. And thank you guys for listening to The Journey is Real. We talk to real people with real passions who share a real portion of their hearts. I'm CJ Peterson of cjpetersonwrites.com. Until next time.